Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 433, Turkey Talk with Kenny Mount, part two. And I am your co-host and the guy who hosts a very popular podcast in Ghana. News to me. I'm your co-host. Maybe the co-host who hosts the Ghana podcast too, but I'm also the guy who is trying to improve habitat for turkeys. What do you have going on now? Well, how many biologists have we had on this show? And it seems like they all sing one song to me. We don't have any brooding cover. We don't have any brooding cover, do we? Nope. So we're about to do something about that. We're taking, uh, obviously this year I'm trying to get some burns scheduled if it would ever stop raining, <laughs> but it, it seems like it rains once every week, which is about the worst thing possible because you just never can get dry enough to burn. But in addition to that, we're trying to create grasslands on a certain farm for turkeys. So we're, we just 
met with timber guys yesterday and we're about to turn hopefully about a quarter to a third of the farm into grasslands managed specifically for pulp production nesting and brooding and maybe some quail even you know but taking a farm that looks all the same and trying to create some grasslands essentially that we'll manage by burning very cool so that that plan is hopefully going to start going into effect the only issue we're going to have is some clear cutting is going to be happening during spring turkey season but yeah. these days if you can get somebody to cut a pine tree you better take them when you get them that's very true because uh, you know they're all too busy down in alabama cutting the 100 percent pine forests of alabama yep they're cutting the five-year-old pines that they planted five years ago <laughs> on a <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty much how y'all roll down there can't create you can't let a tree get older sales. in five years i mean if you do that then you know pine, it's pine a broomstick sales are going through the roof yes they are yeah well, did we get a listener in ghana what's going on are you hosting another podcast behind my back well i did say i was the host but actually i am the co-host of a very popular podcast in Ghana. So I'm pleased to announce that the Turkey Hunter podcast is the 16th top ranked podcast in the country of Ghana under wow. the hobbies classification. Hey, I had no doubt. I'm honestly surprised we ranked that low. Well, yeah. I mean, we we actually slipped three spots today. <laughs> So yesterday we were number 13, today we're number 16, but, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of how close we're to the magic time of year for all of us turkey nuts, we are the number four ranked podcast under the hobbies classification in Apple Podcasts in the U.S. of A. So Sweet. And yesterday we were number three, so we slipped a spot. We got to make that up. I'm really very concerned with the Ghana listeners. I think we got to maybe reach out and try to to grow that over in Ghana. So any of you guys who are listening in Ghana, if you would please share this podcast to your fellow Ghanans, Ghanites, Ghanotians, Ghanareans, Ghanareans, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we would be very appreciative. I like it, man. I like it. And you know what else I like? How many days we got till turkey season? I'm gonna have to sit down myself, really, to oh good to spell this out because we are 30 days, nine hours, 14 minutes, and 22 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Dead gum, we are closing in. Yes, indeed, man. Be well, we got us another fine one. I know I've received lots of positive feedback on part one, and honestly, I like part two just as much, if not more. I don't know. You know, this part we get to our listener questions, and it's good stuff. Kenny Mount always brings a good, good interview. Yeah, you know, I might be wrong, but I think we had more laughs in part two of the interview. And we got him rolling there towards the end of the podcast. And Yeah, he was just getting warmed up in part one. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> I had one person text me. He's like, is Kenny interviewing y'all or are you interviewing him? And I was like, hey, I like it. He always cross-examines. <laughs> that's that's an interview with Kenny. There's no doubt. Yeah, I always have to be ready because he's he's going to bring questions. <laughs> yes, he is. And yes, someone he else is. said he's, he's really into hypothetical bar scenes in this episode. <laughs> 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 Which is true. I think we had three different hypothetical if you're at the bar scenes. <laughs> 
in part one. So. Uh, I'm not sure how hypothetical they really are. I think it's, I think they're scenes that have played out in the past. Yeah. I think he's, he's seen that woman with the chaw in that, that he was after, but yeah. I did have one comment to make about part one that I forgot to mention last week when we were talking about bearded hens. There's a common misconception that you've probably heard and I've heard several people say bearded hens cannot have pulse. Yeah. Right. You know, they, they got a beard, so they've got too much testosterone. That's, that's what that is. They, they're not fertile. Well, I meant to say this last week and I forgot, but just to prove you wrong, if you believe that, I have a trail camera on our property. We have a bearded hen. And in June, she was our best producer for the year. <laughs> yeah. She had, I don't know, six to eight poults with her. And pretty easy to see that beard hanging off of her. And I've seen other people with the trail camera photos of bearded hens with poults. And it's just, quite frankly, not true. So if you're a listener to the show and you hear that, that bearded hens are infertile, so we might as well kill them anyway, that's just not true. And that's not a good reason to go kill a bearded hen. Yeah. If that's your sole purpose in shooting a bearded hen, it is based on falsehood. <laughs> and I believe the science proves that as well. I think there's some results from some of the studies that have been going on for years that showed that bearded hens do indeed nest, do indeed have poults that they raise and, you know, uh, I think there's really no good reason for shooting one in the spring personally, but yeah, you know. uh, I know I'm just saying if, if you are having that thought process of like, well, she's not going to have eggs anyway, I'm going to shoot her. It's just not true. So yeah. I thought that was, that is a, a common falsehood I've heard spread many times that I wanted to clear up that I've personally seen in my own eyes through a trail camera that they have pults just cause it has, it has a beard coming out the front. Doesn't mean she can't have pults. Yeah. So but go back and listen to that episode if you have no idea what we're talking about. You don't want to miss part one. Oh, but yeah. Absolutely. Part two coming up right here. We've got listener questions. We're going to start out with a pretty pretty heavy one. <laughs> and it's it's just awesome. Kenny, Kenny answers these well. Some stories involved. And we have a great time in part two. I think it's a little longer than part one. Yeah, it is. And, you know, my thought process is rip the Band-Aid off go for it from the start and then ask the hard questions first and then we can get at it from there. And that's what we did, you know, and it was a segue. It really was. We, we, you know, it was a decent time to segue into that question. And, you know, I love, I love his answer for it. You know, there's, yeah. uh, we're going to let him talk about it and we'll talk, we'll just pick up after, after well, Kenny's through talking and we'll share some more thoughts on that. You want to see these guys on the other side? Yeah, I think we ought to do that. Enjoy the interview. We'll see you guys in about an hour. Hey, guys, this is Andy. So I've got a little something going on with my sinuses, about to lose my voice, but I just wanted to just throw this into the show. You know, Cameron and I work pretty hard to keep cuss words out, and we really want you to listen to the show with your kids. We feel like hunting's a sport that you need to enjoy with your family and your young children and get them out in the woods. But this interview, we took most of the cuss words out. There may be one or two left in here that we just missed. I just want to let you know that in case you want to turn the show off before we get into the interview. There's some sophomoric humor in the interview as well. So, you know, if you mind that your young kids hear that, then you may want to turn it off now and just pick it back up when they're not in the vehicle with you or not around you and you can listen to it by yourself. But nothing bad at all. 
probably nothing worse than they hear on any primetime TV show. But just wanted to throw that out there. Want to be respectful of, of you and your youngsters listening to the interview with Kenny and enjoy. Speaking of social media. Yeah. Cameron posted that we were going to be interviewing you tonight. And you may not know this, but you're one of the favorite guests that we have on the show. Our our listeners comment on the episodes that, that we have you on and like the episodes that we have you on and listen and download the episodes that we have you on more than probably any other guests that we have on. And so we have a bunch of questions from Let me interrupt you. People. Why and how in the heck is some is that even possible? Like I'm, I mean, like you guys interview some big to dos, man. I mean, in this business, you know, or in this industry or sport, because a lot of people you interview are they actually have their foot in the door, so to speak, you know. And yeah, yeah. just some dude like me that just turkey hunts that I don't know why anyone would really want to talk to me. And you guys are thinking the same thing. Like, we got to get off this call. <laughs> no. But uh, that, that's that's unique, man. I didn't well, mean to derail it. But go ahead. No, no. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you're real and, you know, you have your your thoughts and opinions about things and you're not afraid to express them. And you do so eloquently. and thoughtfully and so you know that right there i think you relate to the average turkey fanatic not just turkey hunter but turkey fanatic and they say you know i hadn't really thought about it like that that makes a lot of sense or i totally agree everything he you know what he just said everything he just said about that topic i totally agree so that's why that's unique because that that's unique to hear because i wouldn't have ever I wouldn't have ever thought it. You guys ask me questions. I just answer them. I know it's not what everybody wants to hear, but I don't know. I, if if I was asking you guys something, I would want your honest opinion. I mean, whether it's being recorded for a podcast or it's in passing or what, I'd, I'd rather you just shoot me straight, you know? Yeah. 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 I also think that, to be completely honest, Kenny, I think you were kind of co-starred in the Penhody Project for years and still do some, and but you're kind of different in that you don't do social media so you don't aren't out there giving your opinion through social media all the time and you're not readily available to be seen and so i think that we when we have you on this podcast people value getting to hear what you have to say because you're not saying it every day in front of them you know you're saying there's a kenny mystique yeah kenny still has some mystique that's Mm -hmm. scary man that's scary because it's like it's just weird how this whole, you know, this whole world operates now. Like I was telling, well, I was talking to a friend of mine last week on the phone and he's, he's a few years younger than I am. And I just can't imagine getting started now. Like the learning curve and we've hit on this before is just, oh, no. it's stupid how much it's shaved off and what a kid can learn. If a kid's hungry nowadays and he wants to, and he wants to learn this game in a much shorter manner, just go to YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, I honestly, I don't know if I would have wished that people like you and I had this, Andy, when we were growing up, but I'll tell you what, we would have got there a lot quicker. You know? Oh, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, we, I think we talked about this the last time that you were on, you know, that the sport has lost a lot of its mystique because of the fact that information is so readily available and people are willing to talk and that information's out there. Whereas when, we were learning it and and look 
I still think you and I, you know, probably were able to pick up more tidbits from from seasoned turkey hunters than the generation before us and the generation before them. I think that they were probably much more secretive then, even than what you and I had to deal with growing up. But, you know, it it's, you know, I think that, that that's part of, I, I mean, when I first started turkey hunting and people would say, oh, you're a hunter, what kind of hunting do you like to do? Well, I, I deer hunt, I squirrel hunt a little bit, but I really love to turkey hunt turkeys really what's that like you know and and i would get just a lot of questions about turkey hunting but now it's like people it it doesn't even phase people what what do you like to hunt turkeys oh yeah my neighbor's a big turkey hunter my cousin's a big turkey hunter my son's a big turkey hunter and then the same thing you know when when i started the super slam 20 years ago we go knock on a door And, you know, I'm in a different state outside of the southeast, and somebody says, where are you from? I'm from Alabama. What are you doing out here trying to kill turkeys? You got turkeys at home. What? I don't understand. You know, (laughs) it it was unusual for them to see somebody from out of state (laughs) and not anymore. You know, you knock on the door like, uh what are, you, what are you trying to kill a super slam too? You Absolutely. Yeah. I did. Hey, I ran into that before. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up in the Northeast, cool. I dropped in on this guy, knocked on the door. He said, oh, yeah, you want a turkey hunt? He said, let me guess. You're trying to kill one all over? And I'm like, wait a minute, dude. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I thought I was in some, like, you know, candid camera or something. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like I got on a, I was out in the Pacific Northwest turkey hunt last spring, and I was coming home, and dude i went to i went to the airport and i felt like i was at the nwts convention i oh, mean yes yeah dude i'm yes. looking around you know waiting in security and so many of these dudes and i'm not being critical i'm just telling you what it what it was like these guys are wearing you know camouflage outfits hats all this stuff that everybody wears now promoting certain groups of people and mm-hmm. all this stuff you know and here i am i just i look like i'm getting ready to go you know, call on a customer or whatever, just yeah, cruising on through. And I mean, like I'm sitting on the plane getting ready to catch a flight home. And like, it literally looked like the one of the, I mean, like an outdoor company was getting on the plane. I mean, like there were so many people out there turkey hunting and I'm like, just 10 years ago, you wouldn't see the airport in May full of people that you instantly said they're turkey hunting. Yep. (laughs) I saw the exact same thing. It was like when we flew in, we were with a bunch of other turkey hunters we didn't know. And then when we flew out the whole airport, it was like we were passing guys that were getting there when we're flying back out. And it was just like, this is nuts. Like, what in the world? <laughs> Absolutely, man. It was, it, it is. Uh, and hey, look, I mean, that's cool. Great. Whatever. Yeah. But it's like, it has changed so much, in my opinion, in a very short amount of time. Like, this whole getting on airplanes and flying around turkey hunting, I'm not some pioneer. I'm not even going there. That's not what any of this says. But, like, you know, 20 years ago, like, I know some people that were flying to go turkey hunting. Yeah. But even 10 years ago. But now, I'm like, man, like, it's it's strong, you know? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Well, <laughs> but anyway, go ahead with your questions. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of that, that was actually one of the questions that we got. And so, you know, you're you're the kind of person that's not going to mix words. And we're I'm going to ask you this question. I don't even have the name of the person that asked it. It was from cool. Cameron's Instagram account. But 
It says, please ask Kenny, considering his acknowledgement of the impact of social media has had on public hunting, with all due respect, why does he continue to hunt on camera and how does he reconcile it? That's easy to answer. We were, Dave and I became friends long before that ever surfaced. We actually, I think we became friends through like competitive calling or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and traveling. He was, he had been traveling, you know, he was a, he was a traveling turkey hunter um, long before we met and for reasons originally outside of any U.S. Super Slam. And I'm not speaking for Dave. I'm just giving you a quick summary yeah. here. Yeah. So obviously we had the whole, I think when we crossed paths, we quickly realized that we had an unbelievable amount of stuff in common related to turkey hunting. Like the way we turkey hunted was very similar. Um, we, we, you know, back then I was competitive calling some stuff like that, but we had also realized early on in life that the season that we were given in our part of the country wasn't enough to, to fulfill our taste buds. Mm -hmm. We needed more. So he was going directions. I was going directions. We crossed paths. We became friends. We started traveling a little bit together, whatever. And then, you know, back then you couldn't, there wasn't the, the, you know, flooding of YouTube turkey hunting. I don't even remember when YouTube became a thing, to be honest with you guys. But you had the outdoor channel, and at that point, everything was on DVD, right? Yeah. But it was all yeah. the same token, you know. It was all cut from the same cloth. So then the whole topic of, hey, man, the video and thing or whatever, and the first year that he did that thing, like, I hunted with him quite a bit. You know, like, we hunted quite a bit in the south together. We made a few trips or whatever. But at then, I was still chasing the Super Slam, and that particular season that he launched that uh, Pinotti project, that was a really busy season for me as far as, like, that was the last full stretch that I had to wrap that thing up. Like, yeah, 18. you finished it I could, on that season, right? I finished it the next season, but, I, but going into 18, I, there was a chance I was going to do them all in 18. But just life got in the way of going to that last state I needed to go to, but I didn't like fret about it. I was like, you know what? Be a man about it. Just, just go next year. Right. Yeah. So I say that to say the breaks in our filming from 18 were because I was going to state solo to finish to work on that slam thing or whatever. And Mm -hmm. you guys know it as well as I do. Let's say that you guys and, and Andy, you may already be there, but if you get down to that last five or six states do you really want me coming up behind you with a video camera and what if i bump <laughs> that turkey in louisiana or i bump that gobbler in arkansas it's just best to handle it alone <laughs> you would not go uh, home i could tell you that yeah imagine being in arkansas for four days you finally get him he's he's 38 yards you got three hours left you got to go home and the cameraman does something and guess what the gobbler sees you before you can get the whatever man you yeah. know the rest of the story yeah. so anyway but go back to the question um then dave took the penhody thing on as a full-time gig and we kind of like moved apart from like physically from the areas we were both living in we used to be almost like we lived five minutes from each other mm-hmm. so long story short when i we will get together typically like once a year a lot of the times it seems like it's down south or something and he'll have the camera. Obviously, that's what he does for a living. And I'll go hunting with him because, you know, it's just kind of how the chips fell into place. Like, none of this stuff is really, like, ever orchestrated. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, yeah. So, like, once that's behind us, like, he kind of goes his way and I go mine. I mean, I don't have a problem with hunting with Dave because I'm not hunting with Dave to be on his video programs. Yeah. 
I'm hunting with him because long before he started carrying that camera, we were hunting together. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, am I going to tell him, no, man, I'm not going to go because you got a camera. Yeah. I don't care about the camera. It's just like, it's just like a hunting trip with a friend for a year. Exactly. If yeah. he, if he happens to film it and, and you do that, great. But I'm not going to protest the hunt because I'm not on Facebook. I don't really think there's a, a correlation between Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever the hell else is out there now than hunting with a friend of yours who just happens to video hunts for a living. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was chasing him around, wanting to be in every one of his episodes, uh, trying to get a lot of quote unquote FaceTime and, and all that, well, then I think I think that would be a very worthy question. But it's it's just trying to get together and hunt with an old friend who just happens to run a video camera for a living. That makes total sense. I mean, I think about it. If, you know, one of my good hunting buddies started doing that, you know, I wouldn't not hunt with him because he was filming. Yeah, I'd still, uh, that's my hunting buddy. You know, I, I want to hunt with him if he has one leg and no arms and, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't matter, you know. So yeah, if he had a camera, that's it wouldn't matter. But on the flip side, too, he's in a totally different position now, and this is an assumption, obviously, than he was when he started, you know, when we were just hunting together and goofing off in the truck and having a good time. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, he, he's not calling me, asking me to go hunt with him. He's not, I mean, he's got to go hunt with a lot of people, and he needs people on there that, <laughs> that you know, he's got to mix it up. It can't just be the same guy sitting in the truck joking about, you know, whatever at four in the morning. I mean, that kind of runs its course, you know? It. Mm, um, there's an, another group that might disagree with that. Well, I mean, it's... That sits in a bus it, it, and same few people cutting up. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, he just... I think he just probably got tired of the scenery and moved on to bigger and better things. And and I quite honestly, I can't blame him a bit. And the few, there are times I've been with him that I wanted to take that camera and beat the ever-living hell out of it, you know? <laughs> that thing's a pain in the butt, man. Oh, I, um, I can only imagine. I but one good thing imagine. about him versus a lot of those other guys that do that are in the same boat he's in is his goal is to get the turkey killed. And it's not about the quality of the, the hunt. He's not going to make you pass a turkey up if the turkey comes within 32 yards because he doesn't have him in focus or some crap like that because yeah. Yeah. he knows if him and I are together, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I, I, I know that took an, it got so popular was that very reason it wasn't exactly the right. outdoor channel model. Yeah. I yeah. Totally and I'm just amazed statement. at at how he's, you know, how the people that are, it, he's, he is literally like, like just put the blueprint out there on how to do this. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people, you know, may be totally cool with that. You know, I can remember one of the questions and one of the things him and I talked about in the beginning and when he started doing that was, at what point do you draw the line on what you reveal? Yeah. And I know that sounds weird, but I talked to a friend of mine after the first year he released those videos that I value this dude's opinion for anything turkey hunting related. And that's, I don't care for most people I meet. And uh, I said, what'd you think of it? And he said, well, man, he said, you know, it had some, had some good stuff on there. And then he got real quiet. And I was like, what's up? And he said, man, y'all gave away about 20 years worth of knowledge on some of those hunts. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, I agree with you 100%. But, hey, man, he's got to make a living. He's making good videos. And it is what it is, you know. 
Yeah. But anyway, it didn't mean to take five minutes. Go go ahead and we'll speed this up. Cameron. That was was a solid answer. Yeah, it is. I've actually wondered this because I've seen you and several others do this. And so Will Morrow asked this question. He asked, why do you unhook your sling from your gun when you set up? Did something why do happen I to make you start doing sling? this? Or was it something you just started doing? It, it's it's just like anything else. I can't remember one specific, like, I don't remember, like, you know, swinging on a turkey and my sling hanging up on anything. I think I like things like I'm just super OCD about turkey hunting. I I am like with a lot of things in life, like to the point where I can get under your skin super quick. Um, But I like everything to fit a certain way turkey hunting. Like I don't like a big, I don't want my zest just, you know, rattling around. Like I want it firm to me. I want everything in it in a certain position, Uh, everything tight. A sling is loose. When I sit down on a turkey, I want my gun as streamlined as possible just the way it feels. There's too many times I have to move my hand. I don't always just have it in the same spot on the foregrip, and I'm just it's just in a perfect spot. I may need to move here. I may need to move there. So it's just second nature to me to take the sling off. But I also never know when I'm going to have to make a move, whether it be to the ground or something like that. What if I need to get another five yards on him, ten yards on him? It's a lot easier for me to move parallel to the ground with just the gun. A sling is going to hang on little little obstructions or whatever, and there's nothing worse than when you're trying to crawl and you get three feet in front of your barrel, which, A, is unsafe as hell. B, you're pulling on your gun because your sling's hung on something like that. So I guess the long-winded way is anything I can redo, do to reduce any distractions, I do it. Smart. And then people Man. argue, well, hell, I would lose it. Well, then you're an idiot. I mean, just <laughs> what's more important, killing the turkey or, or getting a new sling? But look, 90% of people probably don't do it. But I got one for you that grinds my gears. That I, I, You need to ask people this. Why do people leave mouth yelpers in their mouth all day long? <laughs> I do it. You know, like you'll see these videos, and the dude will go out and kill a turkey, and the turkey's been dead for ten minutes. The yelper's still tucked in the corner of his mouth, <laughs> just like just chewing on it. Dude, I bumped into a dude one day on a chunk of public here, walking down the logging road. This dude just stepped out in front of me, and you could hear the banjos playing. I was like, "Oh my god, who is this guy?" <laughs> and he steps out, and he's got this crazy looking boonie hat on. Got him like a big eight thirty five, you know, loaded to the hilt. What are you doing, man? And I'm thinking, well, hell, I'm, you know, just looking for somebody to play play some pool with. What the hell you think I'm doing? I'm doing the same thing you're doing. And um, he had his mouth calling the whole time we're talking, all right? Here's where it just, like, really went weird. He reached in his vest and pulled out a Marlboro Red, all right? Mm. Never took the Yelper out, smoked the whole thing. And I'm like, man, I bet that one tastes good. Later on tomorrow morning, you know, at daylight, you get set up on one, you slide that thing in there, and it tastes like a Marlboro. Yep. What the hell is this dude thinking, man? Wow. So, but anyway, so that, I, little, little I do that, and the reason I do that is because why do I want to put that call in my mouth, take it out of my mouth, put it in my mouth, take it out of my mouth, then drop it six times, and, you know, then it's dirty. I mean, I, I will bet you... Uh, probably 5% of the time that that call goes in or out of my mouth, I actually put a finger on it. So I'm a germaphobe, and I don't want to be touching that diaphragm call every time it goes in and out of my mouth because if I get sick and I can't go turkey hunting, (laughs) 
I'm going to be pretty pissed. So when I, mm. I put that call in my mouth, it comes out of my little little thing that goes around my neck that holds my turkey calls in it. I pull sure. it out of there with my teeth. It goes in my mouth in the mornings before I go in the woods. And then when I come out of the woods, I open it up and I shove it in there. You know, of course, try to soak, suck as much spit off of it as I can. But then I put it in there with my tongue or with my teeth back in the same little slot it came out of and close that thing up and I go to work or, you know, wherever I'm going. Go to the Waffle House. See, I'll take it out to eat. Sometimes I'll take it out to drink a cold beer. Yeah, that's another thing that's just a pet peeve of mine. Guys that wear headlamps all day long on their hat. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude, if it's 10 in the morning and your headlamp is still around your hat, like, take that <laughs> thing off and put it in your pocket. Like, you haven't needed it in six hours, and guess what? You're not going to need it for another eight. Well, I, it's, it's just little things like that. But the uh, thing about the, the calls that drive me nuts is, the longer you leave those calls in your mouth, obviously, it's latex. The more it degrades. Well, not it doesn't degrade. It soaks up your moisture, and then when you need it, okay, don't forget my OCD-ness because this is all where this is centered around. Mm. If you're walking down a logging road and a turkey just maybe he heard you, a crow came over, and you've had that thing in your mouth for an hour or two or however long, and he gobbles and says he's a buck, buck 25, and you sit down, your first instinct is going to be once you think you where you need to be is to cluck or yelp at him or just something to let him know there's a hen there, right? That call is going to be flat as a pancake. And it's, the, the latex has soaked up so much moisture out of your saliva that it doesn't matter. It's going to be flat. It doesn't matter how much pressure you put on the rubber. It's almost guaranteed it's going to have a totally different sound. Now, is this going to be enough to where you don't kill the turkey? Not That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes you could bang two cans together and they come to you. I'm not saying that. It's just if you're OCD like me, every time you call to a turkey, you want it to be theoretically the best it can be, right? Yeah. I mean, once again, I'm looking at it in a very single-minded manner, and it really probably doesn't matter. But I know when my call is out of my mouth, it's drying. And drier latex is going to sound better than super, super wet latex. So, well, once again, it's just make, like the strap. It's insignificant. You make your own call? Absolutely. That's what I thought. Yeah. Did and, you, I mean, you know, I'm not the caller like, you know, all these pro callers and stuff are, but I would recommend that to anybody, whether you want to get into competitive calling or you want to just get a better – become a better caller, period. Yeah. 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 It's, you, don't, you don't have to have, you know, ambition of going up and ho ho hoisting the Grand National Trophy to build your own calls you're going to stumble upon something typically after a buttload of trial and error and frustration where you want to just give it up numerous times. But one day you're going to build something that's going to give you the tone that your mind and your ears looking for. It's going to be hard as hell to replicate a lot of times, mm -hmm. but at least you have some direction of what kind of fits you, you know? Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I get what you're saying. And I, you know, if I, if I go to a show like, NWTF convention in Nashville and I buy 10 diaphragm calls, I know right away I'm throwing away about eight of them when I get to the house because yeah, yeah. I just, I can't run them or they don't fit me right. You know, they don't sound like that turkey that I have in my head, whatever it may be. And I just resolve the fact that I'm throwing them away. So if you're, if you're building your own calls, it's a lot easier to build one, know how you built it, how you cut the the read on it, and if you don't like it, you know, or make a note not to do it again, throw that one in the trash and get you another one. So, yeah. Yeah, it's. I agree with you completely. And, and too, like another thing that's, listen, 
we've all been there. We, we, like the first time we ever spoken, we're just climbing that ladder that we talked about. You're, you're early on in the game. You hear somebody blow a call and you're like, Oh my God, what kind of, what call is that? What call is that? It's, it's not the plane. It's the pilot. It's like people all the time, you know, uh, if you hear like maybe a, a Dave Owens video or something where he's running his mouth call and doing all that stuff on there. And you, the guys are like, what calls that? What calls that? Trust me. You could probably go take that call out of his mouth, rinse it off however you wanted to, put it in your mouth, and you're not going to sound like he does. Yep. I don't. I mean, it's it's the fit. It's there's like no whatever doubt. works for him doesn't work for the next guy or whatever. Yeah. And that's so many people think if they get that call, they're going to sound like that. And I'm like, man, it's he sounds like that because he has a good ear. He's he can he can hear things that a lot of other people can't hear when you're producing those sounds. So he knows what to find those notes, how to carry them, control them. And he's been doing that for twenty something years. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not like he went to to Ricky's bait shop, bought a cackler call, put that thing in and started going and, and placing in the Grand Nationals. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of and blood, sweat, lots. and tears goes into that. Lots and lots and lots and hours upon hours of practice. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. That most people right, aren't willing to put into one. it. Right. No, and no, absolutely. You nailed it. Matthew Knight wants to know why, especially with traveling and the potential for something to go wrong, do you prefer a holographic site? It's just like building your own calls. It works for me. It's less I have to fool with. I shot open sites for years and years. Just like anything else turkey hunting related, I say always get the best that your wallet will allow. Mm-hmm. Don't skimp on stuff, especially stuff that's going to bridge the gap from the end of your barrel to you picking up that gobbler. I'll never understand why people want to go kill a turkey as bad as they do, but yet they put so little into it. You just hit the nail on the head, Andy. People aren't willing to practice their calls like they should in order to get better. Yeah. If you really want to be a good turkey hunter, you don't have to sound like Matt Van Zeist to kill turkeys. I get that. But why not be as best the best you can possibly be? Like, why not put a little effort into it? Yeah. Same yeah. with your gun. Like, the why did why do you think so many people now shoot the reflex sights? Man, they work. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there against a tree. You've got one dot. Take angles and stuff out of the equation. You have no eye relief. You're not shooting a seven mag. You can shoot that thing at any angle as long as that dot's on the target. Lord willing, you're going to hit it. I think it's just like anything else. Buy a good gun case. If you're going to throw a case on the bottom and the belly of a 737 that's going to get tossed <laughs> six ways from Sunday by the time you drop it off to the time it even gets on the plane, don't go to freaking debate shop and buy a Plano case that's an eighth of an inch thick plastic because it's on sale for $49. Yeah. Go buy a good case that can withstand that's proven Pack it in there, right? And if you have any issues, shoot it when you get to where you're going to go. But a reflex sight just minimizes the room or or minimizes the margin of error. And anything I can do to minimize my margin of error, sign me up. Once again, back to the sling. I feel like it makes me more slimline, more compact, easier to make a quick move if I need to. Same with a reflex sight. I, sh- I still miss a bunch of turkeys, don't get me wrong. 
but nine out of the 10 of the ones I missed, the minute I pulled the trigger, I knew I forced it, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to admit, most turkeys you miss, you know, the minute you touch the trigger, you shouldn't have touched the trigger. Yeah. You know, very rarely you'll have that one occasion where you're following the gobbler or whatever, and you get tunnel vision and center a tree or something like that. But yeah, I still miss a few, but let me tell you what, I don't miss as many as I used to. Yeah. So I, I just I wouldn't worry about stuff like that. Stuff like that to me is a little you're overthinking it. Just go get a good case and take care of your stuff, and it'll be fine because we all fly, we all have the same sights. The guys I hunt around, and it works for us. Yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, for for those listening out there who travel and do put your gun in a case, and that case goes on a plane. And you know what happens to them when they get in that case and they lose, they leave your possession. They're going to get thrown around, beat around. It's like the the luggage guys are looking for that gun case so they can just beat the teetotal crap out of it. They've been off on that, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I would throw two dove loads in your vest, or not your vest, but in your your gun case inside your, your turkey shell box. And when you get where you're going, go put a piece of paper out there at 40 yards and shoot those dove loads in there. Assuming you know, because you shot dove loads before season in your turkey gun, you know where those dove loads hit. So you're not blowing your $12 a shell TSS loads or whatever it is that, that you're, you know, your turkey loads. But you can, you can sight your gun in or just make sure your gun is still on when you get where you're going and you should, because you owe it to the bird, you know, that that trip out there was not cheap and if you're not sure that your gun's still on target when you get there because the luggage guys have kindly readjusted where your sight is pointed then you're taking a big chance in my opinion absolutely and, and i mean it's just like if you're willing to go drop six fifty eight hundred dollars on a plane ticket to go fly somewhere to turkey hunt and then let's just say you get in another five to six hundred dollar car rental yeah and then by the time you've got all this money invested in this and then you get all the way out there and you have to sit on the on the uh case and all the preparation that really matters ask yourself what the hell you're doing i mean it, it, look man either go all in or find something else to do everybody wants these to be good at this and they want these results and they want to go out and kill all these turkeys that they hear just like you said about building calls hey you ain't got to build your own calls but put as much time into it and as much money that you feasibly can and nine times out of ten you're going to come out on top i'm not talking about you're going to kill all these turkeys but you're going to reduce the chance of these kind of things happening they're still going to happen but I've never understand why so many people piss and moan. Look at that dude. He's got one of them Benelli's thing costs $2,000. Who's got that kind of money to spend on a turkey gun? I don't know. Maybe somebody that loves turkey hunting. Maybe the Benelli fits him. Maybe it fits good, feels good in his hands. He likes a slim foregrip. He doesn't like a bulky gun. It's fit, man. It's just what feels good to you. It's not a matter of what it costs. You know it. Yeah. Years ago, people were like, you pay $300 for a pair of boots? Now look, everybody wears $300 boots. <laughs> it just blows my mind. You know? I have another preference question for Go you. Ahead. This one, two people sent it, so I had to ask it. It's just kind of one of these preference ones like the other two. Dude, you, you can ask camouflage? me anything, Cameron. All right. Do you think camouflage is important, and what's your favorite camo pattern? 
Charles Corey and Terry Hall wanted to know. Is camouflage important? Yeah, absolutely it's important, but it's not near as important as like sitting still and like paying attention to where you sit and try to yeah. sit down if you can in a spot that somewhat breaks your outline or a tree that if you can get any kind of obstruction in front of you, like a limb or anything to break the outline, we put far too much emphasis on camouflage. Like, for example, you've got mossy oak bottomland. That's been the rage now that it's come back, obviously. And then you have the mossy oak green leaf, which is just the bottomland with the small green leaves applied to it, right? That looks yeah. great if me and you are sitting around drinking beer. But the turkey, he's not paying attention to those small green leaves on that camouflage pattern. Okay, I think a lot of that more is for the human brain and, and human eyes to process than what happens in the timber, because some of the best camo that I've ever seen people wear, nobody wears it because it's not popular, right? It's almost yeah. like a fashion game. Like You can pick out today's turkey hunter because they all dress the same. They all got a bottomland dip gun, and there's nothing wrong with this. I had a bottomland dip gun, too. They all wear a new mossy oak bottomland. They all got a, pat, a hat on that's bottomland with some leather patch with a logo on it. Everybody, It's like there's a school somewhere next to the truck driving and hairdressing school for turkey hunters, and you got to go there, and you get, an, you get a uniform, just like before fall football practice. You get your uniform, and you go turkey hunting. But I'm kind of being a smart aleck. But at the end of the day, I think breaking your outline is far more important than like the camouflage pattern you wear, as long as the pattern's not like white or pink or something. And um, as far as camouflage goes, like a brand, you know, I think it goes back to like when I got started doing this, when I got started turkey hunting, you only wore real tree or mossy oak. And in the part of the neck of the woods I was from, the local sporting goods store, which most people don't even know what a sporting goods store is now, they carried mossy oak. Like that's what the that that's all they had in there. So I grew up wearing it and I still wear a lot of it today, but it's not like I lay out a uniform every day. I mean the, the new clothing now with the thin pants that, that are like almost water resistant, they breathe easy easy. You I don't wear a lot of cotton anymore. You know, years ago it was like heavy cotton pants, heavy cotton tops. This new stuff, like the old Tom and all that stuff that they make, it's comfortable because it's it's not as hot and bulky, and you can just put in some long johns underneath. And if you get hot, take those off. You got some breathable pants, you know. Yeah. But no brand, I guess, just like the old mossy oak stuff. That new bottomland pattern they have looks pretty good in some t in some of the woods that you know we all hunt in in the south. But I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is hide your butt. I mean, if you can. You can break it up. And, and like the leafy jackets that are so important, and I, I have a few of them too, I think that kind of helps because it kind of like it, – it somewhat breaks your outline up. I don't think it breaks it up like we think it does unless you're like laying in a bunch of brush or something. But I don't know. Just try not – just pay attention to where you sit. Yeah. hope that answered that. Yeah. No, no camouflage can mask or beat sitting still and being quiet. I mean, that's yeah. number one. I don't think you should just start – thinking just because you got like a certain camo and that you can yeah. sit anywhere especially like in a planted pine thicket or especially the one that's been row thinned or freshly or has no cover at all growing off the floor like if you're planting and sitting down against an eight inch pine tree that can i can see problems arising from those kind of setups you know yeah not saying you can't call up a whole drove of gobblers to 10 feet from you but if i can get myself broken up I'm going to, without a doubt. Yeah. But there's little tricks of the trade, too, that can help you in situations like that. We're not just going to lay it all out there. Somebody can go to YouTube and figure it out themselves. But 
once again, you need to think outside the box a lot of the times, especially early season when the when the leaves aren't out and you're more exposed. Once those leaves start greening out, then then obviously you can really get creative with your hiding. You know it. Yeah, yeah. So we have another question from Mac Sean, and that is, can you tell me how you would hunt a 250-acre tract that's half-flooded most of turkey season? I know how I would hunt. Well, I mean, but... I mean, it's 250. You got half of it underwater. At least you 125 acres, right? Yep. So, I mean, you're you're already you're answering your own question. If you've got Obviously, more than likely, the turkeys are probably roost over the water. You know, they like to do that from time to time. Find out where they're roosting. Get as close to them as you can. They're not going to stay in the water all day. What's around the property? Is there stuff around them? Are they flying over onto the to the neighbor's land? It's a I get I get his question, but there's you can variables. 125 acres. You can turkey hunt that really quickly. I mean, you can you can cover that, and wouldn't you say a matter of minutes? I could for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I would think if you had some turkeys hanging out and they spent some time during the day on that 125 acres that wasn't in the water, of course, if they were out on a little island out in the water, I'd crawl out in that water one morning and get me a straw or something and breathe through that straw like Chuck Norris and then rise up and shoot <laughs> one of them when he landed on one of those little islands out there. But that's but. I'm willing to do that to kill a turkey. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it was 5,000 acres and it was half of it was underwater. It may get more complicated, but with 125 acres, you should be able to figure out how to, I'm just being honest, how to get yourself within 40 yards of one of those turkeys, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is, is that answer too I, vague? No, I think that's good. I mean, I would probably suggest if I only had that space to hunt, I would be very careful not to bump that turkey. I mean, I would I would persistent hunt a little more than I would run and gun, I guess, if that was all, the only ground I had. Yeah, I think you would almost uh, yeah, I, kind of, I I I think you would almost have to know what the turkeys are doing in there and almost just wait them out. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, you, you could try calling without a yeah. doubt. That's what that was the whole comment. I mean, if you were walking in there trying to strike a turkey, you could you could you could blow that place out in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, but you you can hear that you you can hear 125 acres unless for some crazy reason there's a two mile hole in the center. But you should be able to pinpoint if the turkey gobbles on the 250 acres where he is, and even if you can't get to him that morning without exposing yourself you should be able to get enough data to be able to put yourself in the right position in a short amount of time on dirt that small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hope that's legit. I mean, you almost need more variables about the land, you know, to got a yeah. field on the dry think, side or. Yeah. I think that's about as accurate answers you can get with variables given, you know, in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. What? And, and an, another thing that I, I don't want him to take the answer the wrong way, but, I've got some guys I work with, and they're in a hunting club down somewhere in South Georgia, and the hunting club is unique. You don't have free roam of all the lease land. When you get in the club, like you almost have to get grandfathered in or something, you get a designated area, right? That's it, boss. You've got how many ever acres it is, and you can't leave it. And that's how they turkey hunt. They go down there, and they just sit in the same little block of woods, and if there's a turkey there, great. If not, well, you take those guys out of that environment, 
and you go drop them off somewhere that's got 5, 10, 15, 20,000 acres of dirt, they are more prone to hunt that 5, 10, 20,000 parcel, acre parcel of land like they do their hunting club. They're probably going to get in a small area and just make circles, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's almost like you're a product of your environment with this. And a lot of people True. live in areas that don't have an astronomical or any public land, so they have to play the card they're dealt. And I get that. But mm -hmm. people that hunt, like this gentleman here that has the 250 acres, if there's some way, somehow, he can, through luck, by the grace of God or whatever, start getting himself in position on larger parcels of land, whether they be public or whatever, if that if that if that requires him taking a vacation to go travel or something, whatever, then I think he will grow as a turkey hunter the more room he gives himself to roam, so to speak, because it's going to make his mind work in a different manner than what it works when he's hunting 125 acres of dry land. Yeah, I'm not taking anything away from him or anyone else because it's a small parcel, but somewhere, somehow, he can go get on a chunk of land, and I think he will see his – I think his portfolio portfolio will get a little bit more diverse in the grand scheme of things if he can start thinking on a larger scale. And I know a lot of people don't have that opportunity. I understand that. I was very lucky to grow up with hundreds of thousands of acres of public land at my disposal. But I think you got to get outside of your comfort zone, you know, to really kind of this whole traveling U.S. Super Slam thing that everybody's doing and just going somewhere new. I think that makes a lot of a lot of good turkey hunters because you got to figure it out in a short amount of time most of the time. And that's how you get better. You know, you get you get yeah. out of the you get out of granddaddy's back 40 and, and go somewhere you've never been. And for the 125 acres, just stay at it. You'll figure it out. But once you get a weekend, if you can go do something bigger, go do something bigger. And really, you'll come back to that 125 acres and be able to do it blindfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Some some guy in Rhode Island is like mind blown that we're saying small parcel by 250 acres. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, That's the biggest farm in the county. <laughs> Hey, look, man, and you could you don't need 250, 10,000 acres to kill turkeys. You can kill turkeys on small parcels. You guys know that just as well as I do. But you hit the nail on the head. If you've only got 125 acres of dry land to hunt, if you plan on hunting it more than a day or two, you are going to you're going to go in there and turn it upside down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you better be stealth mode, getting in there and getting out. Without a doubt, man. So, I mean, you, you brought up a really good point about the, the pressuring it because you would literally almost have to just like steel hunt it or something to go in there and try to continually hunt it, minimize the, you know, the pressure in there. And let's face it, you don't want to go kill a whole bunch of turkeys off 125 acres anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kill one, you're good. Without a doubt, and I doubt there's ten gobblers on 250 acres. Yeah. But yeah. once they break up, obviously. You, you well, know, you you brought up a good point, and I think that you know carrying that example out further and looking at it in a little different light, you know, for those of us who do travel and hunt, when we get into an area that is not, you know, that's outside of our comfort zone. Let's say maybe you're a flat-footed lowlander like Cameron, and <laughs> you, that's all you've ever hunted, and Thanks. then you find yourself in the mountains in West Virginia, you know, you can, that in and of itself can give you fits, you know, and it may take you a day, two days, it may take you 10 days to figure out how to hunt that. 
kind of ground. And, you know, that's that's one of the challenges that we run into in, in traveling and hunting. And, you know, we get, I know I get the question from time to time, I'm sure you do too, Kenny, and I know Cameron does, of, you know, well, where where's the hardest bird for you to kill? And actually that was that was one of the questions that you did get tonight, Kenny, but it, it, it can often just not be the birds. It can be being put into a situation to where that we're not as comfortable with. Maybe the terrain's different. Maybe, you know, we're not used to hunting in cold weather and the whole time you're, you're hunting this particular piece of property out of state, it's extremely cold and you just, you know, maybe it's windy, you know, whatever it might be. There's all sorts of curveballs thrown and maybe it's not just the turkeys. Maybe it's the conditions that we hunt them in that make those those particular states or those particular turkeys really tough to hunt maybe it's the the period of the breeding season you know if we hunt a state that season comes in late and the hen the vast majority of hens are already sitting on nests full time well shoot when the season date season opener comes around those those toms are probably pretty hot and ready to get shot but you know if you leave that and you go to a state like Mississippi that has an early start and you're dealing with hinned up birds, you know, that might just flat out give you fits. So, you know, that that's what you said, you know, it, it all, all those things will just make you a better hunter and, and, you know, really kind of build your portfolio. And so, yeah, I've, I've you, talked- you, you just, you just really, you know, what you just said, I don't know how well it resonated with, with you, but you, you couldn't have summed it up any better. If somebody asks a man, where's the hardest place you've ever turkey hunted? What's the hardest state you had to kill a turkey in? It's like, let's use Alabama, for example. I mean, don't, doesn't Alabama have like a reputation for having difficult turkeys in Mississippi and Louisiana and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. But are you going to drive to Alabama or any of these states and already half halfway defeated? thinking, man, man, there's some hard turkeys down there. I don't know how this is going to happen. A turkey, for the most part, doesn't recognize state lines. (laughs) They don't don't recognize, they're not walking around with that Alabama logo or Auburn logo (laughs) on their wing. I'm an Alabama turkey. (laughs) Yeah, you know, hey, man, you you can take that Yelp and shove it, buddy, you know? I mean, (laughs) they're turkeys. Some of them genetically are harder because they've been hunted their whole life. But you hit the nail on the head. Even the toughest four- or five-year-old gobbler, a few times a spring, you collect to him one time, he may run you over. Mm-hmm. It's all about conditions. It's all about timing. It has nothing to do with a border of a state. I told a guy this a few days ago, you know, Western turkeys have a reputation of being easier because they gobble more. They People think they're dumb and all this. Well, I'll be the first to stand up and raise my hand in front of the whole classroom. I've had some turkeys in these quote-unquote easy states bend me over and just rip me up. I mean, just as hard to hunt as a turkey in a Mississippi public land swamp, Louisiana, Alabama, just pick your poison. Yeah, it's You, you couldn't have summed it up any better than what you did. So there really is no, my opinion, there is no harder state no harder species. You can get your butt in a wad in Florida quick. That can be, that can push you. That's tough, but it can be done. What do you want to do? You want to kill one every time you go out there? How much fun would that be? It'd be fun for a week. Okay. But what, I mean, seriously, the reason you guys (laughs) and I get up every day and we do this crap 
because somewhere down the line somewhere we are totally content with defeat we may not we don't want it on a frequent basis but how many turkeys do you lay in bed and think about in the middle of july that you walked out to your place last spring and he gobbled and you tree yelped to him or whatever and he flew down and you ran up there and you shot him you may think about those turkeys but they're not at the forefront of your mind or i would be shocked if they are i i think about the ones i screw up or the one that just kicked me in the jaw or the one I had to hunt for five days before I killed him or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you got to be demented and love getting your head smashed. If you're going to do this, like a lot of us do, that's what keeps us coming back, man. Kind of trendy cliche to make that statement, but a lot of truth to it. You know, that's a fact. The, the ones I either miss or never killed absolutely are the ones I think of the most. Oh, I know, man. I, I got one I screwed up last year one morning before work, and I mean every day I think about that devil. Every day. <laughs> That's how I got one yeah, that yeah. the second to last day of season for me last year. I had one morning to hunt this particular state to get this new state, and he caught me swinging the last swing to shoot him and pulled that trick where he got a tree between us and never saw him again. I can still see him. I mean, I can see that turkey clear as day. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, I don't care how long you do it. I don't care how many you've killed. I don't care how many U.S. super slams you got under your belt. I don't care how many conventions you've done in the Cascades ballroom on Saturday afternoon at the convention. doesn't matter. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're going to go out there and you're going to sit down on one and you're going to think you've got him in the bag. And then, bam, you're going to make a mistake. A mistake that you've made time and time again. You know better. You knew better than to do that. But guess what? You got complacent. Something happened. You did it. The day that you don't make a mistake on a turkey from time to time, that's probably when it's time to hang it up. Because you've, you've, you've reached, you've finished the course. You've yeah. reached your objective. Yeah. Problem is, I don't know if that objective and finishing the course is realistic. I don't know if, that, if that's a possibility. You know, nope. but. Even if you did it and you told people and you had a certificate to prove it, I think everybody'd still call BS on you. So what good would it do? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know, that's what keeps us coming back. But anyway, that's, you, you brought up a really good point. I don't know if you've, you've ever covered that before, but there, there is no, you know, state or Turkey that's, I mean, there's places that make it harder, but how much of that's terrain too? Yeah. Yeah. Other elements and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cameron, you got another one? I That was the, the only, I think there was one more that I had seen, and it was... I was going to say, there ants. couldn't have been but about five people ask questions. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Well, now. yeah, our seven listeners all tuned in for this one. Ben <laughs> yeah. Vance, he said, ask Kenny if the cigar smoking after killing a turkey originated with the West Virginia boys he learned to turkey hunt with. It's funny he asked that. One of those guys did smoke cigars, uh, but he did, his his cigar smoking was not to celebrate a kill. The first thing he did when he got to where he was going to listen, which I don't recommend this to anybody, was to smoke a cigar. But in all honesty, the first time I ever smoked a cigar killing a turkey to like celebrate the moment, I was hunting with Mike Pentecost from Woodhaven Calls. Mm -hmm. Mike and I grew up in the same area, or he's older than I am quite a bit, but like we're from the same area. And long before he became Woodhaven Custom Calls, he was working for a turkey call company called Southland Game Calls. I'm sure, Andy, maybe you've heard of them, Cameron. They've kind of been out of the loop for a while. 
and he was working for Southland. Well, then he started kind of like fiddling with the pot calls and stuff. And his first company was called Woodhaven Country Custom Calls. And then he changed it to Woodhaven and almost the rest is history. But I was helping Mike build calls for a while. And we went turkey hunt one morning and we ended up, had two different hunts, killed a couple turkeys or whatever. And he reached over in his vest and pulled out a, I remember like it was yesterday, it was a jewels black and gold. Not a black and mild, but black and gold. And we sat there and we smoked those cigars. And I guess at that point on, that's been, God, that's been 20, 22, 23 years ago, maybe. At that point, it just kind of, it just kind of like resonated. And I was like, that's kind of a cool gig. And I've just always kept a cigar in my vest for when that happened. Cause I don't smoke any other time of the year or I don't smoke cigars. Like when I'm just sitting around or mowing or whatever, like the only time I ever inhale or I don't even inhale them. The only time I ever light anything and put it in my mouth, if I ever get a Turkey. And then when Dave and I started hunting, he just, uh, I think he just thought it was cool. Like I thought it was cool when I saw it and now it's turned into some. <laughs> I think anybody watches the Ten Hody video, the minute it's over there, and the car headed up to a racetrack and get them a box of cigars, you know. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to racetrack. I think they already got them. Have already been to racetrack because, yeah, you're right. Everybody uh, yeah, on I social mean, media is smoking. Got a picture uh, of them uh, with a dead turkey hanging from a tree with a cigar either. But at what point do you question your originality? Because I'm like, I'm not saying that nobody should do it or whatever, but like, yeah, well, I, mean, I don't know. Every, everybody, it. everybody does what they see. And that's so funny because like, it, it's just comical because like you're, you're not being real original if you, send somebody a video of you smoking a cigar against a tree just to get attention that just there's your reason there's another reason why i don't do the social media it's too many idiots on that (laughs) sorry well i tell you i like to snort a line of cocaine off of a hooker's belly (laughs) after i kill one that's just my way if you put that on this podcast man me and you we are we are gonna get together one day because that's a hell of a good line (laughs) absolutely now i'm gonna see people on social media doing that oh my god i mean i'm not even joking last year i was in an area i found a kill site where someone had killed a gobbler and literally found a smoked cigar by the tree near the turkey and i was like this is getting out of hand there's too many folks (laughs) there's so many people doing this now I really think Dave could like, you know, pull a prank and say he like he's got his filming a show and he could like kill a turkey or whatever and have the camera like still at the tree and walk out and like bend over a little bit and like just say he like he had like you could see like a thong going down in the back of his, you know, bottom land pants and it was just kind of brushed <laughs> under. I really think like within the next week, the sale of thongs to men would fly through the roof and like all these turkey hunters would be wearing thongs, you know, because they saw Dave or somebody on YouTube who kills some turkeys wearing a thong. I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, it's funny what people do, you know? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm guilty of that when I was younger too. I looked up to people when, you know, I was coming up the ranks and, you know, you emulate people like that, but yeah. It seems like now, if if you're not, I mean, imitation's the highest form of flattery. I get it, but it's yeah. somewhere along the line you need to kind of row your own road, you know. Yeah, I I get it. You know, it 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 does speak volumes to how much hunters think of 
Dave and think of you when they see you in those videos, you know, smoking a cigar, sitting there with Dave after y'all been successful. But, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I will say this, you know, the very first time I interviewed Dave, it was before he ever started Pinhody. And he was just Dave Owens on, I can't even remember what his handle was on Old Gobbler, but he was, you know, on a forum and he was just oh. a guy that helped people out. Yeah. And I mean, this has been years ago. And he he told me about smoking a cigar after he killed a turkey because it just slowed him down and it gave him an opportunity to appreciate the hunt, to pay his respect to the bird. Whereas, you know, most of the time, you know, what I'd done up to that point was I shoot the turkey, I throw the bird in the back of my vest and I'm moving on to the truck so I can get to work or whatever else. And, you know, when I heard him say that, I thought, you know what, he's right. I've, I'm I'm not a cigar smoker. I'm not going to sit down and smoke a cigar after I kill a turkey. And, you know, I'm not going to do that that part of it, post a picture of me on social media doing that. But, you know, even if you just take five minutes and just sit there and just look at the bird and admire the bird and appreciate the gift that God gave me that morning of, number one, being able to see the sunrise again, Number two, being able to hear a turkey gobble again. Number three, giving me the the gift of being able to call one in. And number four, being able to give me, you know, giving me the gift of not pulling my shot to the left and missing that joker. And that animal made the ultimate sacrifice for a hobby that I enjoy. And, you know, I would go as far as to say a turkey hunter is what I am, but ultimately it's a hobby that I enjoy and, and I'm thoroughly passionate about and you know he when he told me about that from that point forward i really just you know i'll take some time and i'll sit there with that bird and admire that bird and just take everything in and you know it slowed me down and made me appreciate a win and you know if that's what these people on social media are if they're taking that in and that's what they're getting out of sitting there and smoking a cigar then do it to it. it it's funny because the first time you ever interviewed him, I was sitting on the couch at his house. Where are you really? And he was, yeah, it's been years ago. Yeah, we were, we'd been we used to you know have dinner and cook out or whatever all the time. And I was like, I got to do a podcast. At the time, I was probably like, what the hell's a podcast? What are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. But you know, it's funny because it's like stuff like that that you've you've done for like I said, twenty years or other things that people pick up on through those videos and emulate and stuff like that. It's just the way you've always hunted. And there's other things too that are on there. And it's weird when you look back, like just having a cigar or something that trivial is that big of a deal to people. Like, I mean, yes, before I smoked cigar, a cigar, if I got a Turkey, I stayed with, I never want to leave that spot. That's how I've always am. Like you don't have to kill a Turkey to have a peaceful, quiet time in the woods to yourself. Mm-hmm. But I can't speak for you guys, but the days I am or the, the times I am lucky enough to be in that moment and have actually, you know, pulled that seat off, I, I don't want that feeling to leave. I I don't I don't want to just throw the turkey in the back of the vest or however you're going to transport him and just haul to the truck and go home and run in and start dusting baseboards. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I wait all year to do that. All year. Don't take it away from Mm -hmm. I will lay there. I got my whipped in South Carolina 
with this one turkey. I probably told y'all about it. I think yeah. I did. Yeah. I missed him, scared him. I mean, if you could screw him up, I screwed him up. When I finally crossed paths with him and that deal was over, I can't tell you how many hours I sat at that tree. It was a windy, really beautiful, clear day, you know, mid-April, something like that. I laid in that little bottom with him for hours. I did not want to pick him up and leave. And I know that's kind of weird. You're probably thinking, man, you may need to get some looked at or something, maybe some psychological issues. Well, sure, absolutely. I, I, I would never deny that. But I'm just saying that that's how I feel with them. Uh, it's the same with cutting them up. You know, I I hate it when you got to rest them out and yeah. dismantle them, so to speak. It's, it's I don't know. It's Yeah, so that's, that's the worst part for me. When I've mm-hmm. got the legs and thighs and breast out of that turkey and I've cut the fan off if I'm going to do that and I've got the beard off the bird, I've cut the heart out of it if I'm going to, if I want to eat that and I've got that carcass and I'm getting ready to put it in the trash can or, you know, if I'm at the camp, I'm going to go put it, you know, behind an oak tree somewhere out there in the woods. It's just like, man, you know, the old saying of Ben Rogers Lee just really hits home. You know, you know, you're just not going to hear that bird again in the morning. And, you know, it's, that sucks. That's the worst part of the whole game. Yeah. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know how much turkey hunting you watch, like on YouTube and stuff like that. Cause it seems like if you want to watch it, that's where you got to go. But I don't know about y'all, but even the moment you are watching the video and you know, the turkey's getting ready to get shot. I mean, it's nothing that like I applaud. I mean, I don't like, it's, it's really hard to explain because like, Every day I get up, that's what I want to do. That's why I got the gun. That's why I got the shells, the whole nine yards. Yeah. But it's like once the trigger, I don't even know if the if the echo of the shot is even done echoing off the hills or wherever. Yeah, you're excited. You've just been fooling around with this devil for three hours, and he's drugged you over four ridges, and you're just physically and mentally exhausted. It feels good to win, but yeah. winning came at one hell of a price, yeah. and uh, it's a it's a very ironic, just confusing endeavor that we take on with this because it just doesn't make sense to me how much we love turkeys, what we're willing to do for them, um, and if you don't respect them, don't ever get near me. Don't you shouldn't be hunting them. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's a really weird thing, and the older I get, the more I, I think about that aspect of the game. Don't get me wrong. If we suited up tomorrow morning and heard one gobble, we're going to go in there. We're going to do everything we can to, to kill it. I wish I could dial that back some. Like I, I wish I wasn't wired that way, so to speak, so much because I love it. But the minute it's over, I almost hate it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just really odd. It's it's um, And I think the longer you do it, the more you start to look at it. I mean, you got to think before you went in there and you threw that scratch box at him and 10 of those pot calls you got in U.S., four box calls, and all that other crap you carry out there. I mean, he was just doing his thing, living life, enjoying the sunshine just like you are. Glad to be there. And uh, in order for us to feel complete, we have to go kill him. I can't figure it out. I just can't. I can't figure it out. Yeah. It's weird. Yep. True. I will say the past three years I've gotten to where I used to, you know, after I cleaned the bird and He's just a shell of himself at that point. I'd just go chunk him in a ditch or whatever. But I have actually, it's kind of weird. I've taken the time the past couple of years to take what's left of him. And I go just put him nicely by like a tree and leave him there. And it's like, I feel a little better about it when I do that, I guess. He doesn't just feel like a sack of trash I'm throwing in the ditch. 
and, and I, I, I don't stand anywhere in life to tell another man to do anything, whether it be turkey hunting, anything. But I wish everybody would do that. I mean, that's, I just do. I mean, just, man, there's nothing better. You know, everything's special. You know, everything that's alive and, and the woods and everything, even the songbirds. I know predators are a pain in the ass. They need, you know, they have problems. But, you know, man, it is what it is. But anybody that disrespects a turkey, whether it be alive, uh, dead, you know, anywhere in between, I mean, there's some videos out there that people will shoot a turkey and you can clearly tell the turkey's not dispatched completely and they're oh, sitting yeah. around talking. The turkey's sitting over there, you know, he's completely immobile, but he's far from dead. Mm -hmm. And that happens to all of us from time to time. Don't get me wrong, but you, you better get your butt in high gear. And uh, I've heard of people, you know, doing the most absurd things to dispatch the turkey when there were far better options. And I'm like, oh, no, man, there's just a lot of people out there hunting that, that are just how can you not love a gobbler? How can you not? Yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 beyond spiritual for some of us. And and you don't have to kill a turkey to, to enjoy and experience these feelings and emotions that I'm trying to convey somewhat. Maybe it's just how we're wired. But I don't know how anyone, A, can casually hunt turkeys. B, cannot just submerse themselves in the sport and see just acquire in a short amount of time mostly an unbelievably unknown respect for that bird i don't know god god's a very you know not gonna get religious here but some crazy stuff in this world but when when the turkey was created it just i don't know they're unbelievable man they're really cool yeah gonna get no argument from either of these two guys on the show with you yeah, but a little too heavy. It's just, it's not a blood sport, nor should it ever be one. And and the, and the main focal point should not be about shooting a turkey in the head, you know, and all these slogans about shooting them in the face and put your foot on their head and all this crazy stuff. I'm like, man, how tasteless can you be? You know, just, I don't know. But my expectations for anyone turkey hunting are way higher than they need to be, you know. Hmm. Well. I wish most folks had that expectation, and I think that'd be a better thing for the sport, to be honest. Well, you boys sound wore out. I know it's late. Andy needs to go hit that eight ball one more time. He's about to crash on us. So, uh, he's just about out of gas, and he needs to make that call while the wife's still gone. That's right. That's right. Good deal. Man, I've, as always, I've enjoyed talking to you and enjoy having you on the show you know, it's good catching up and wish you all the best this spring. Safe travels everywhere that you're going and look forward to talking to you again soon, I hope. Yeah, man. Thanks for the call. I can't believe y'all had me in again. That's unbelievable. I figured after the first one, it would have been been in the rearview mirror. No, sir. <laughs> no way. Thank you, Kenny. Good luck this spring. Safe travels. Enjoy it. I hope you too. Hope you have a great year. I don't know where you're flying in the morning, but be careful and have a good trip. Yeah, I got to go get tan before I go turkey hunting. Make sure they can't see my skin. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the tan. Don't forget that thong either when you're wearing your bottom land. This <laughs> the thong's all he wears when he's hunting. So, absolutely, he's got to be tan. I got to see it Man. on YouTube before I start doing it. I can't do something on my own accord. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, just just whatever you see some of the guys on YouTube doing, just copy that, and I promise you, your success rate is going to skyrocket. That's it. Oh, I love it. Kenny, thank you, buddy. Oh, Kenny, thank you. Always entertaining. Absolutely. Absolutely it. Enjoyed it. Good luck to the both of you. Andy, I hope you're – if you haven't finished, I know you're getting close, and good luck with that, okay? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Getting close. We'll see. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Yeah. I think back and – 
at his answer to that to the tough question of hunting on video and just love his answer because I wouldn't quit hunting with any of my buddies if they were doing video. So Oh, absolutely. And I mean that's that's it. I mean I don't think you could answer that any better in my opinion. Yeah. And you can just tell from him on the videos or him on the phone, he's not the kind of guy that he's not trying to push some product or push himself in through no these way. videos. You no. know, so not trying he's to get just followers up. on social media. Obviously. Yeah. He he's not trying to build a brand. He's yep. just Kenny. Yeah, it it's true. It's true. And and you know, they're friends before all this happened and still friends now, and I don't blame him one bit for that. So Absolutely. I actually had a couple listeners after listening to part one to send almost, you know, a very similar version of that question to me, different people. And I just replied and said, we actually cover that in part two. Go check it out. So hopefully if you're one of those guys who messaged me, hopefully that answered your question. I think Kenny answered it about as gracefully as you could and took it right, you know, in stride. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't take anything personal. Just like you said, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And, and you can tell a lot from a person by the way they answer tough questions like that. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, look, it, it's why the guy is one of our most popular guests. One of the reasons why, you know, he's just, I think he lays awake at night just thinking of answers to hypothetical bar questions, hypothetical bar questions. <laughs> well, what if this happened at the bar? <laughs> He's he's just very thoughtful, you know, and and he is. I mean, shoot, how can you not like somebody like that? They've that's there's not many situations that he hasn't already thought out. You know, well, if this happens, I'll do this, and here's why. You know that kind of thing. So, good dude. He's yeah, a good dude. Really, really enjoyed it. I personally found his the cigar smoking talk. <laughs> hilarious i i barely laughed half of this interview to be honest so i thought that was freaking hilarious that he he went there with that and i just i still find that hilarious i may have to figure out what the world's largest cigar is this year and send him a picture of me with that thing the next turkey i kill because that would be funny well i think he's committed to start hunting with me after i told him how i celebrate a kill <laughs> yeah. you took it to a whole new level i was <laughs> i was considering more of you know break out my monocle and a and a pipe and have a nice toke but but you just went straight for it you got to carry a whole nother person with you <laughs> a paid individual might i add yeah if you're gonna go man right. go all out that's what i'll say that's how you celebrate a turkey kill. That's all I'm saying. I like it. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck I hope yeah. you're doing that here in a couple couple weeks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so thank you, Kenny, for joining us. If you're listening to this, we enjoyed talking with him. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting the listener interaction with a guest. Yeah. And so... We're going to do some more of that, I think, in the future if we have a guest on. You know, not every guest we're going to do that, but, you know, certain people we might do kind of a Q&A, and I'll, I'll post that on my Instagram. The handle's Cameron Weddington, my name. And I'll post that on there on my story, asking if you have any questions, you can DM them to me. If you ever have questions for Andy and myself, feel free to message us anytime, and we'll try to answer those. Yeah, no doubt. And hopefully y'all enjoyed in part one when... 
Andy said when Cameron and I were hunting and beep, and there was hundreds of turkeys. Somebody slipped and said a state name, and we're just not going to let that pass on this show. <laughs> you know, I, I heard that. I often don't go back and listen to the interviews <laughs> before we post the show, but I heard that, and I just kind of giggled, and I thought, yeah, I, I totally did do that. Totally said the state name, and Cameron and I are not interested in ruining any more states that have been ruined. And, you know, I've even had somebody message me and say, well, nobody cares where you hunt. Just say the state, you know, you're you're not going to hotspot any state. Well, that may very well be true. But what Cameron said is true. We care. Yeah. So people people do people monitor that. And if if we're on here in thousands of years saying that blank state had hundreds of turkeys, maybe not this year, but subconsciously, a lot of people are going to believe hey, there's a lot of turkeys in that area. I should go try that out. And that's the world we live in now. And we're, we don't want to be a part of that. And you know what? Worst case scenario, you didn't hear a state name. I'm sorry. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you could pretty much get away with saying a state name east of the Mississippi, but you go west of the Mississippi and some of those states out there only have turkeys in very small pockets. Yeah. And most of the pressure comes from non-residents traveling to that state. Their resident population doesn't hunt as much, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's just not something we're willing to do uh, anymore. You know, it, the game has changed. We've talked yeah. about it plenty. The turkey hunting world is different than it was five years ago, two years ago, three years ago. You know, it's it's oh, just absolutely. different now. Yeah. And we do not ever want to feel that we are part of the problem of sending people in hordes to a certain area. Yeah. And, you know, you can go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we do mention state names and yeah. we're not going to go back and change those. They're out yeah. there. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not going to make changes to that. What we are doing is just in the future, in the present and in the future, there's no reason for us to, a state name adds nothing to a story. Correct. It, just like Kenny said, turkeys don't recognize state boundaries. And if we tell you that we're hunting a Merriam's and Ponderosa pine, it doesn't matter what state it look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, yep. And then we also have a guest already recorded and ready to rock for next week. We'll have Michael Man, T. Simpson yeah. on. That's a good one. Awesome. Not that, not that Kenny's not good. That Michael T. Simpson interview was outstanding yes it truly is you can hear his passion in the in the interview and just uh he puts things in a wonderfully positive light in my mind so it was it was a great interview and i hope y'all enjoy that and i'm gonna make a favor of the week real quick all right andy and i've discussed we obviously love all the guests we've had on and that we've had previously and redone several times but we'd love to have some new guests on that we've never had such as michael simpson that we'll have next week if you have somebody in mind that you've never heard on our podcast message us email us let us know a name and a contact information and we will try to get that person on for this spring that'd be great so you can message me on instagram at cameron weddington or you can message facebook at i am turkey hunting or email me at cameron.weddington at gmail.com or andy do you want to give your email andy at i am turkey hunting.com yes and in a few weeks he will be turkey hunting so you might want to go ahead and do that soon (laughs) 
Very true. Very true. But we do want to, we, we love having new guests on, getting fresh ideas, people who have not been on the show before, or, you know, maybe not even any podcast. And it's always unique to talk to a new individual. And so we would love to do that. If you have anyone in mind that you haven't heard that you think would make a great guest, let us know. And it's fresh meat to see if we can have somebody break the record for the rapid fire Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. Next week we may have somebody make a run at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks guys for listening. Hope you all enjoyed part two with Kenny and I'll check in with you next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.